Hi, this is John Stonge, and you're about to hear the recording of this evening's coaching call for the Healthy Discipleship Community. And this evening we were talking about the fact that failure can be a great teacher. So if you've ever felt like you've failed or you're going through a season right now where maybe even you've just been telling yourself that you're a failure, uh, which is something that unfortunately all of us have probably done at one point or another in our lives, If that's something that you can identify with, I think you'll appreciate tonight's coaching call because that's the topic we were discussing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Healthy Discipleship Community, or if you'd be interested in joining us live for one of these coaching calls, just head over to HealthyDiscipleshipCommunity.com and you could learn more about what it's like to be part of the community. But right now I want to take you to tonight's coaching call where we're talking about the fact that failure can be a great teacher. Here we go. Well, good evening, and welcome to this evening's training of the Healthy Discipleship Community. We're glad to welcome you to our coaching call this week. And this week, we're talking about the fact that failure can be a great teacher. That's something that I want us to be thinking about tonight as we look at a variety of scriptures together, that failure can be a great teacher. I don't think any of us necessarily looks forward to failing, but it's amazing how the Lord will use failure in very redemptive ways. And so we're going to look at a few examples of that from scripture this evening, and we're going to be talking about that in our discussion time in just a a short time. Uh, But first of all, let me say this. Failure is something that we're all familiar with. Every one of us is familiar with failure uh, because only Jesus is perfect. So since only Jesus is perfect and we aren't, failure is something we have certainly experienced. We struggle to get things right. We make decisions that seem right to us in the moment, and and then all of a sudden we discover, oh no, I, I, I goofed that up. We've all failed in a variety of areas, areas that Maybe we're big and maybe we're small, but all of us are quite familiar with the nature of failure and what that looks like. Now, when we fail, there are two primary ways that we can respond to that. And I see this all the time. Sometimes I see this in my own life. Sometimes I see this in other people's lives. But there's two primary ways that we can respond to failure. One way is to catastrophize the failure. And what I mean by that is we just look at it, we say, all right, all is lost. We start beating ourselves up about it, and we just completely catastrophize it, and we think that nothing good can possibly come out of it and that things may never get better after that failure. The other way we can respond to failure is we can admit our mistakes and then learn from them with humility. And so we're going to see an example of that in just a little bit this evening. But again, that's the two primary ways that we can respond to our failure. We can catastrophize it or we can admit our mistakes and learn with humility. Now, when we look through Scripture, Scripture gives us multiple examples of some well-known people who failed, uh, you know, by many different metrics, while also showing us how the Lord utilized their failures in redemptive ways. And I'll say this, I think one of the reasons that Scripture is very clear to give us uh, pictures of those who have failed is so we don't idolize some of these people. So some of the examples that we're about to look at together are people that are well-known in Scripture. These are people that you know, you and I are, are well familiar with, and, and probably some of us that are either listening to the recording or those that are here part of tonight's coaching call live um, 
these are people that we've probably heard about throughout the course of our entire lives from our childhood. And so some of these people we would probably be tempted in some respects to over emphasize and maybe even idolize. And so I think Scripture gives us multiple examples of some of these well-known people failing so that we can understand that they should not be idolized and so that we can see how the Lord utilized their failures in redemptive ways. And this is something that's very useful for us to be aware of when we're thinking about our own lives. Now, I want to look at a few principles this evening, and I want to start with this one. Uh, And these are each principles that are very applicable when we go through seasons where maybe we feel like we've, we've really just messed it all up, where we feel like we've failed. And one of the things that we could learn from failure is this. Failure should teach us not to make the same mistake twice. So think about that statement for a second. Failure should teach us not to make the same mistake twice. Let me read to us from Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. In that portion of Scripture, it says this, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the entire army and attack Ai. For I have given to you the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So this is what Joshua was told to do in Joshua chapter 8. Now, what's the context of what had been taking place there? Why was Joshua being told not to be afraid or discouraged? Why was he being told specifically to take his entire army and attack Ai? Why did the Lord have to tell him that that he was going to give him the king of Ai and the people and the city and the land? Well, a little backstory. Um, prior to what had taken place in Joshua chapter 8, you have the events that took place in Joshua chapter 7. And in Joshua chapter 7, you have a man named Achan, who's part of the people of Israel. And uh, Achan was somebody who, instead of listening to the Lord's direction and listening to the Lord's command related to the spoils of war, he took things that were supposed to be used in a different capacity, things that were supposed to be devoted unto the Lord in a particular way, and he had taken the spoils of war for himself. He had taken clothing, so he'd taken some garments, he had taken some silver, he had taken some gold, and he hid them among his own possessions. And he did this secretly, and the people of Israel went into Ai, their army went into Ai, prepared to, to take that city, And they suffered a major defeat, a major, embarrassing, painful defeat. And they're wondering, why has this happened? And the Lord revealed to them that there was sin among them. There was unconfessed sin among them. And um, and so the the portion of Scripture we just read from Joshua chapter 8 took place after Israel had been cleansed from Achan's sin. Achan's sin was dealt with very clearly and very abruptly. And here in this portion of Scripture, it tells us that the subsequent military attack that Joshua had prepared to take, he, he, he prepared now to take uh, an attack against Ai again, but this time he was going to go in to win. And there's a few lessons that he learned in that process. And one of the things that he learned as we look at the events of Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8 is that, first of all, Confess your sins when God reveals them to you. Confess them. There are times in my life that God has revealed things to me that did not belong there. And I can try and pretend that those things aren't real, or I can take those sins and I can confess them to the Lord. 
if I don't confess them, I'm going to persist in continual rebellion and continual failure. And I know that that's not God's will for my life. So I need to confess my sin. We all need to confess our sin. When God reveals our sin to us, we're called to confess these things over to the Lord. Second principle that I think Joshua learned in that particular context is that when you fail, you need to refocus on God. So they had gone into AI, and they had suffered defeat, and they were wondering what took place. And that was a perfect moment for them to refocus their attention on God and to start thinking about things that mattered to the Lord and and, and really uh, emphasizing what the Lord had called them to emphasize and confessing their sin, doing all of that, but refocusing on God in the midst of this failure as they tried to bounce back from it. Third thing that we could learn from this example of what took place with the the people of Israel and Joshua in this particular context is the Lord was preparing them to occupy the promised land, and that's this. God wants the cycle of sin, repentance, and forgiveness to strengthen us, not weaken us. So that was the cycle that we see in those chapters, in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of the book of Joshua. We see sin, but then we see repentance, and then we see forgiveness, and then we see strength. So think about that from a personal standpoint, the cycle of sin, repentance, forgiveness, and strength. When that cycle is initiated, when we're in the midst of a cycle like that, keep in mind that God wants that cycle to ultimately be something that that is used to, to strengthen us, not weaken us. Now, it doesn't mean that we invite sin into our life to somehow start that cycle. There's plenty of sin there as it is, and we're supposed to live in a continual state of repentance where daily we come before the Lord and and uh, ask the Lord's intervention in our lives, and we confess our, our sin to Him, and we admit these things, and we walk toward the Lord instead of running away from Him. But God wants that cycle of sin, repentance, and forgiveness to be something that strengthens us. It's not designed to weaken us. As we repent, as we experience the forgiveness that he offers, in that moment we find strength in the Lord. In that moment we're reminded of the strength that's supplied to us through our genuine faith in Jesus Christ. It's meant to strengthen us. It's not meant to weaken us when we repent and and receive forgiveness. So I wanted to start off there because that's kind of a you know, it maybe is a, a known story to you from the Old Testament, or maybe it's something that you're not familiar with, but it's definitely an example from the history of Israel of great failure when they were anticipating success, but then they discovered that there was a major issue of sin that was being hidden among them. And the Lord exposed this, and it was ultimately something that the Lord used to teach the people of Israel a very powerful lesson. Something else that we learn in regard to failure, and that's this, Failure can help us to become humble and useful. So think about that for just a second. What does that mean? Failure can help us become humble and useful. How can failure help us become humble and useful? Well, let me read to us from Luke chapter 22. This is starting with verse 61. I'm also going to read verse 62, but it says this. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter And then Peter remembered that the Lord had said, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Very familiar event to many of us, the denial that that Peter expressed regarding his knowledge of the Lord. He tried to pretend that he did not know the Lord. 
And Jesus had told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to deny him. There's no way I'm going to do that. But the Lord said, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. And that's exactly what Peter did. Not just once, not just twice, but three times Peter denied knowing Jesus Christ. But failure can help us become humble and useful. So how did that principle work itself out in Peter's life? Well, after all of this took place, after this comes to Peter's mind where he realizes that he has denied Christ three times, it's revealed to us that Peter wept bitterly. And he wept bitterly because he had denied the Lord and had, in effect, turned away from a very dear friend. Peter, keep in mind, had said, and he was very emphatic about this, he said he would never deny Christ, and yet he did it anyway. How many times have we told the Lord, okay, Lord, I will never do this, or if it's something that we've done in the past, how many times we've said to the Lord, Lord, I will never, ever, ever do this again, and then we find ourselves breaking that pledge. And Peter, again, had said to Christ that he would never deny him, and yet he did it anyway. And so uh, some thoughts related to that. We need to be aware of our own breaking points and not become overconfident or self-sufficient, because that's the spot that Peter was in. He was, he was trying to become <coughs> excuse me, self-sufficient, and he was definitely displaying overconfidence. And his confidence wasn't in what the Lord could do in his life. His confidence was basically in himself. And he thought, for sure, I'm not going to deny the Lord. That's not going to happen. And he thought he was self-sufficient. He thought he could rely on his own strength. And what that ended up doing was resulting in him stumbling and falling and failing in a very obvious way. A story that remains really powerful to us even in this day and age. When we look back and read it, we think, all right, that's a very painful moment. But if we fail, we have to remember that Jesus can use anyone who admits their failure. And I believe that the lessons that Peter learned from this experience helped him immensely in his future role of church leadership. You remember, as you look through the book of Acts and you look through some of the things that are mentioned um, even in Paul's letters, but also in Peter's letters and the general letters, you can see that Peter became a uh, just a... a a very prominent leader in the early church. I mean, in many respects, you can look at him and say he became the prominent and uh, like, like, like focal point leader for a particular season during the era of the early church. And Peter learned from this experience, and I believe it helped him immensely in his role of leadership. It taught him humility. It taught him that he couldn't be overconfident or self-sufficient. It taught him that he needed to rely on Christ in the midst of every circumstance he found himself in. And I believe that that's the type of experience that can make a person a better leader and a better teacher and a better example for others because your life has been seasoned by the experiences that you've gone through. And Jesus was very careful to restore Peter after, uh, after a while there, after his resurrection. He looks at Peter, and, and he asks Peter multiple times, you know, three times, just like Peter denied him three times. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he commissioned Peter to be someone who fed his sheep, meaning who looked after the sheep, who cared for the sheep, who who was a a leader in the early church, ultimately showing care and concern 
for the family of God. And so Peter learned from these lessons, and these are things that helped him immensely in his future role of church leadership. Something else I want to show us by way of principle here uh, in, in regard to our failures, and that's this, that God works in spite of failures. Think about that statement for just a moment. God works in spite of failures. So even before I read from the Gospel of Matthew, which I'm going to read in just a moment, think about this in a personal way. Sometimes we, if we struggle with catastrophizing, sometimes we think that God cannot possibly do his work because of our failure, that we have just failed so far and so bad and embarrassed the name of the Lord in, in, in so many ways that we think, all right, there's no way that God can work in spite of my failure. And yet, when you look at the example we have in Scripture, it shows us that God works in spite of failures. Let me read to us from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And then I want to just comment on this in just a moment. But when you open up the Gospel of Matthew and you get to verse 1 of chapter 1, the opening verse there, it says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. Then it goes on to give us that genealogy. Now, let me make a couple comments about that genealogy. So, in the first 17 verses of Matthew, we meet 46 people. And this is a group of 46 people whose lifetimes span 2,000 years. And every one of them there in that genealogy, we also see a genealogy of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. But here, the one in, in Matthew, every single one of these individuals, these were ancestors, earthly ancestors of Jesus. But this group of people was very diverse. They varied considerably in their personalities, in their spiritual maturity, and in their experiences, and also in the eras in which they lived. And so some of these people, they stand out to us. People like Abraham, people like Isaac, people like Ruth, people like David. These are some of the people that that many people look to as heroes. And they're very prominent uh, individuals that show up in the Old Testament. And there's much that's said about them, and, and we can certainly learn from their examples. And so they stand out to us. But then some of the people in that that ancestry list, that genealogy of of Jesus, some of them had rather shady reputations. People like Rahab, people like Tamar. You know, you look at their past, it's not squeaky clean. They had some difficult moments there and some things that uh, they either chose to do or things that were done to them that really are not the type of things that people speak about in polite company. And there they are in the genealogy of Jesus. And then you have other people like Hezron or Nashon. And you look at them and you think, all right, what did they even do? Like, do I, do I even know what they did? But they're listed there in this, uh, this list of ancestors, this genealogy. They're very ordinary. You know, so you have prominent people. You have, you have scandalous people. You have ordinary people. And then you even have a few others like Manasseh and Abijah, who had a reputation for being just straight-up evil. And they're all listed there in this earthly genealogy of Jesus. Now, why am I bringing that up? Well, just as God was willing to use all kinds of people to bring his Son into this world, so too is he willing to use all kinds of people to accomplish his will today. Meaning, he wants to use you. So, whatever 
past experiences you may have had, whether you feel like you're someone of prominence or someone who has kind of a dark past or maybe someone who feels like you're just so far below the radar and you're kind of hidden, or maybe you have a past where you would say, all right, um, you know, that, that's, that's quite evil what I welcomed into my past back at that time. Whatever your experiences may be, as God was willing to use this group of people to bring his son into this world, it's not a far stretch to accept the fact that God is willing to use people like you and like me to accomplish his will today. Because whatever category we want to put ourselves in, we're going to be in one of the four categories that we mentioned just a moment ago. Either you're a standout, either you've got a shady past, either, either you've got a past that maybe seems like it's rather evil, or maybe it just feels ordinary. But regardless, just as God was willing to use all kinds of people to bring his son into this world, we need to recognize that he's willing to use all kinds of people today to accomplish his will. And it's not a stretch to say that he wants to use you. Now, all that being said, in just a moment here, I'm going to switch us over to gallery view so that we could see each other's faces and and have a little conversation about how the Lord uses failures to teach us a variety of things. So get ready for that. I'm going to stop the screen share here and jump us over to the gallery view. And it's good to see each of you on the call here tonight. But I have a uh, a starter question for us, and I I hope that uh, one of us will jump right in on this one here. But think about your own life. Think about moments that you would say, "All right, that's a moment where I failed." And I just want to know, in a personal way, as as personal as you're willing to share, uh, keeping in mind that we're being recorded, right? And that's this is being shared through our podcast and and through the video ministry. But how do you personally tend to respond to your failures? So just think about that for a moment. And feel free to jump in with a thought on that. How do you tend to respond to your failures? We all have moments where we fail, right? So how do you tend to respond to your failures? Anyone have a thought? Who wants to jump in first? Let's hear it, Andrea. Classically, I want to bury them. Like, ignore them, not acknowledge them, hide from them. I am slowly learning not to do that, but that is my default setting. To bury them, to hide them, um, before you mute. Um, why do you suppose that is? Like, why, why do you suppose that's your default? Have you ever done some self-analysis to think, all right, this is maybe why I do this? Because my shame tells me that the people won't love me or want me anymore because I failed. Wow. Yeah. I bet you there's lots of us. uh, I'm sure all of us on this call can identify with that to one degree or another, but there's probably people listening to the recording right now that can identify with that as well. So an issue of shame that this, that, that the love you experience from others has a conditional nature to it. And as a result, um, you, you like the, it's better to bury the failure than it is to acknowledge it. You think, because maybe you won't experience love or appreciation anymore. Very good. Very interesting. Anyone else? How do you, how do you tend to respond to your failures? What's your default? What's your go-to? Go for it, Desha. Yeah. I'm one of those people that it depends honestly what it is, but I tend to beat myself up or sometimes I just try to right away learn from it and then give it to God and know that 
it'll be okay and he'll use it. He'll continue to help me move forward if, if, if I stumble a little bit. Does it almost depend on what category the failure is in? Depending like, you know, if it's something that just seems like super embarrassing or something that doesn't seem super embarrassing, whether you give it to God or whether you just kind of hold on to it in an unhealthy way, does it seem to um, seem to matter or, or not? I'm not honestly sure. I can tell you sometimes when I am more reactive, maybe either with something I say or something I do, Mm-hmm. And that's the cause of it. Then I tend to beat myself up. Like I know better to slow down. I know better to try to listen for God. You know, that's when I tend to, um, when I'm harder on myself. Yeah. Somebody yeah. told me once to, uh, if you're going to beat yourself up to use a, a feather, not a bat. <laughs> oh, well, that's good counsel. Yeah. Use, your, <laughs> yeah. use a feather, not a bat. You're gonna do it. Go easy up. a little bit and then let it go. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. That's good counsel. Yeah. Use a feather. <laughs> Um, all right, here, here's another question here. And this is, this is, you know, meant to be introspective for us here. So think about this from an introspective, uh, um, you know, viewpoint. What message do you tend to preach to your heart when you fail? So, and I'll, I'll explain why I'm asking that question. I think that regardless of however many preachers or teachers you listen to, that you're you preach to yourself more so than anyone else in your day-to-day life. And we're all preaching a message to our heart and that message says something and our, our beliefs then impact our behaviors. And so I'm just curious if anyone's ever taken the time to maybe meditate on a little bit, the message they have the habit of preaching to their heart when they fail, what message are you preaching to your heart when you go through a season of failure? or a moment of failure. Anyone want to take a bite at that one? What do you preach to your heart? John, a lot of times I just try to remember that God still loves me and, um, that if I keep trying to do the next right thing, um, it'll be okay. The other thing I wanted to mention earlier is sometimes I don't even know if I like the word failure mm-hmm. because it's, to me, it's an experience more um, that we might go through to teach us. I, yeah, that's, that's a good statement. Um, are you familiar with John Maxwell? Do you ever, uh, I, a little bit? I have a variety of his books here. I'll show you one of my favorites here. This is, uh, I actually have it handy. Uh, his book, The 21, Indi- er, excuse me, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Uh, if you're accessing the video or if you're listening to this recording, you get a chance to read John Maxwell's book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I don't think you'll regret it. Um, but he also has some other clever titles and some clever thoughts and clever books. And one of the things that he, he says uh, in a variety of his writing, he makes a comment. He's like, sometimes, well, finish this statement. You ready, Desha? Uh, finish this statement. Sometimes you win and sometimes you, all right, you're muted. So I can't hear you. What is it? I want to just say sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Right. Isn't that what we would say? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. His favorite statement to, to say in regard to that is sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. 
And I like that. And that kind of goes along with what you said there. You know, you said I, sometimes you're uncomfortable even thinking of the word or using the word failure because you think, all right, this is an experience. This is something that I'm learning from. And that's ultimately what we're talking about tonight, right? Like the fact that failure can be a great teacher. So sometimes you win and sometimes you learn, but even these moments of, of, uh, you know, we look back and we say, all right, you know, I failed in that moment. I didn't, I didn't want things to go that way. So that moment feels like a failure, but we can use that in a redemptive way. And, uh, and begin teaching or, or responding to it as a teachable moment so that just like Joshua didn't go back to the same mistake, we can also look at it and say, all right, I'm not going to go back to the same mistake. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to grow in wisdom. Uh, so good. Um, anyone else want to chime in on that? What message do you preach to your, to your heart when you go through those moments that feel like not the greatest? A moment where, you know, if we want to use the word fail or if you want to use another word, but some of those lesser moments, what, are you, what do you preach to your heart in those moments? Go for it, Don. When, you, when, when I come on, what I heard you talking about, I was, there was something that uh, was drilled into me as a kid. It, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So like uh, when you fail or when you lose, you just get up and keep doing it. And then my, my father was a, a, a military drill instructor and I was raised with, raised with a, an iron hand. And like uh, what I do to myself is it would be brutality. If somebody else did to me what I do to myself in my head and, uh, in the, uh, like failure is not an option. Like you just gotta, you just keep going. In fact, every failure, you're one step closer to the victory kind of thing. And like that sometimes sounds like a real positive or maybe a go getter kind of attitude, but I've experienced life where that keeps you going when everybody else and you should have threw up your hands and surrendered and quit. Like I never quit, which is why, you know, I got clean in my late forties instead of when the people I knew when we were in our twenties and they started growing up and told me I might have a problem and things of that nature. So, Mm -hmm. so just like everything with no God in it, it can, it can come off the rails even a good thing, like, you know, a tenacity, persistent commitment, all that good stuff can also keep you sick if you're doing what you're doing. And it, and it's in contrast to what the Lord has for you. Yeah. And so uh, those aspects of things. And, but it's a blessing because I am, and I, I was just at a meeting where I shared about, I'm truly blessed because I have messed so many things up in life and, and, and so many different ways that I can probably tell just about anybody what not to do in any <laughs> circumstance. And I consider that a blessing. So I guess that, I guess I learned. So sometimes I win, but a lot of times I was learning. You yeah. were learning. Yeah. I know. Doesn't it feel like, you know, maybe on our last day, we'll get this all right. You know, or close to it. <laughs> it's like a bumpy road to get up there. Yeah. I, I have to admit, like the, the reason I'm even asking that question tonight, you know, what message do you preach to your heart when you fail? I mean, some people just, just beat themselves to a pulp uh, in the midst of their failure and they end up becoming 
just paralyzed by it or, or petrified by it. Maybe that'd be a good word for it. But, you know, it, it matters what we preach to our heart. We're always to be refreshing our heart with the truth of the gospel. And sometimes we preach a message that does not line up with the gospel. Uh, we preach that message to our heart when we fail. And we're, we're, we forget the fact that in Christ, we find mercy. In Christ, we find forgiveness. In Christ, we find a second chance. In Christ, we find hope. And it's like, why am I not preaching hope to my heart? Why am I not preaching mercy and forgiveness to my heart right now? Why am I, why am I tearing myself apart when that's not what the Lord would be doing and certainly not what the Lord is doing, right? So, you know, I mean, sometimes in the midst of our seasons, that our low seasons, our moments of failure, we end up preaching a message to our heart that does not line up with the gospel. And we got to be careful about that because, yeah, I'm going to goof some stuff up. You're going to goof some stuff up. That's going to be, that's going to happen. But when those moments happen, our hearts need to be refreshed, not destroyed. Our hearts need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel all over again. Applying the gospel to our lives is something that we never outgrow. It's something that we're continually to be refreshed by uh, all throughout the course of our Christian life. Related to this, and I, I, I think I expect um, some almost universal agreement on this one, but you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. Why are we often harder on ourselves than we are on others in this area? Do you know what I mean? Like uh, w- when I fail, I think I'm harder on myself for my failures than I'm harder on than I am on others. You know, so if somebody else in my life struggles or fails. I tend to give them more of a pass than I'm willing to give to myself. So does anyone else find that pattern in your life? You know, why are we often harder on ourselves than we are on others in this particular area? Anyone have a thought on that? I can say for myself that, uh, I, I, I do do that. I'm much harder on myself than I am on anybody else. I think the reason for that is that I can say things to myself that I wouldn't say to a stranger. You could be more brutally uh, honest. I'm so comfortable <laughs> with myself. But yeah. I, I, you're really hitting at something that goes to the core of what the Lord's working on with me, John, because uh, there's a scripture that says, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Hmm. And I remember for the longest time, like, I, I will give people the benefit of that a lot more than I give myself. So like I was loving people better than I love myself and, mm. and see the aspect of it would go out working it. It kind of, I don't know. It's like chicken or the egg stuff. I don't know whether I started, you know, accepting people, which let me accept myself and give myself a little bit of a break or whether it was the other way around. But I, I do know from personal experience that it builds on each other. Like when, I started giving people a break. I started to give myself a break, and it made it easier for me to give other people a break. But I, that scripture held me up for the longest time because I, I thought, well, I'm real good because I treat my neighbor <laughs> a lot better than I treat myself, so I'm good. But it, it was all askew and, 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 and very, very wrong. And uh, so I, I think the reason to, to, to your question it's just that I'm real comfortable at beating myself up. Yeah. I wouldn't, if somebody would say to me, there's things that go on in my head, I would probably be doing prison ministry again. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be, could be. Yeah, Desha, what's up? I just kind of wanted to add on to that. Mine's 
at least the way I see it now, mine's a little bit opposite. When I'm easier on myself, I can be easier on other people. So the same verse applies, but when I can cut myself some slack and, and receive God forgiveness and love and his devotion and stuff that helps me rem- remember to, and, and it's kind of goes hand in hand that I'm with that. I'm that way with other people then a lot, it's a lot easier for me to be that way with other people. When I'm not right with myself, um, if I'm something going on in my head and I'm, you know, whatever hard on myself, then I tend to be harder on other people. Yeah. So when you're showing, so when you're in a cycle, a healthy cycle of showing yourself mercy, you start to see more mercy coming out of your life toward those in your life. Yeah. And uh, when you're harsher on yourself, you maybe struggle to show them the, the patience or the mercy that you'd want to show them. Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So this question is going to be interesting here. Um, and uh, to be fair, you know, sometimes it's easier when you're the moderator of these things to avoid answering hard things, right? <laughs> so I'll take the first bite at this one. And uh, then if you want to jump in on it too, um, you know, go for it. But the question I'm, I'm asking is, how has the Lord used your failures to prepare you for what he would eventually call you to do? How has the Lord used your failures to prepare you for what he would eventually call you to do? So I think about my calling. You know, I think about the calling that the Lord's had on my life. So in my, in my context, I serve as a pastor. Uh, the Lord's opened up avenues for me to extend that ministry through all these different online options that we have now, through podcasting and blogs and videos and online memberships and things like that. I think, oh, wonderful. You know, it's like an extension of local church ministry that we get to do in this digital age. And uh, I think to myself, all right, so what are some of the tasks that I need to do? Well, one of the most obvious tasks that I have to do is I need to get up and, and prepare to preach and teach in front of people. So how has failure prepared me for what I would eventually do? Well, I have to tell you, as a young person, I was more than happy to be a class clown. But when it came to things like public speaking, that used to terrify me. And I used to get so sick to my stomach when I'd be called to do it. And so I'd get up in front of people. And I still remember one particular time where I got up in front of a group and I, I was preaching as a guest speaker. This is actually when I was in college. And I remember afterward, I got in the car and uh, my now Andrea is my wife. But at the time, she was my girlfriend. We weren't even engaged yet, but she came to hear me preach. And uh, and then we left together in my car. and We were going out for lunch that afternoon. And, and afterward, as we got in the car, I said to her, I was like, you know what? I know you try and give me good feedback usually on my messages to try and build me up. But I know that that was terrible. That was probably the worst message that I had ever preached. And I just don't want to talk about it. All I want to do is feel bad about it and, uh, you know, just feel bad for myself and eat lunch and pretend that never happened. And her comment to me was, um, I don't think it was as bad as you think it was. Like it, it, you know, I thought that was an, a good message. It was helpful. And I thought, nope, nope, it wasn't. And I thought I had totally flopped, totally failed. And then I ended up getting a lot of good feedback from it that over the course of a year, people kept giving me feedback about it. And I thought it was terrible. And so one of the things the Lord taught me from that was, he can make use of things that we think are a mess. He, you know, he can, he can make use of a message that in, from human standpoints, you know, we would look at that. And I thought to myself, I'm glad a recording of that message doesn't exist because I felt embarrassed that I had done so terribly. And yet to have people over the course of a year express an appreciation for it, I, I thought to myself afterward, the Holy Spirit can make use of anything. <laughs> if he can make use of that message that I really just felt humiliated after I shared, I thought I did such a terrible job and did not connect with the group of people I was trying to, to 
uh, share the, the scriptures with that day. I thought I'd done, I had done terrible. And so the Lord taught me through that moment that felt like a failure. And from a human standpoint, I think it was a failure, uh, but that he can do good things through that in a redemptive way. And he taught me to stop beating myself up every time I take the risk to preach in front of a group, because that's just not productive. If he's called me to preach in front of a group, I can't end each message by beating myself up. I need to be able to look at something like that and say, Lord, I did what you called me to do. Did I do it perfect? No. But I still did what you called me to do, and thank you, Lord, for giving me the privilege. And by your grace, I hope that you use that in some way or another to bless somebody's life and help them to know you more deeply. How about this? Another task that I'm uh, frequently given in my pastoral role is counseling. Well, one of the things that I have to tell you that's helped me immensely with counseling is living through difficult seasons of life. So in my life, I've lived through several different seasons where I was genuinely and thoroughly depressed. And I don't like depression, and I'm sure nobody likes depression. And, you know, you could look at certain seasons and say, oh, that was circumstantial, or that was because of this, or that was because of something you couldn't control. Regardless of whatever was causing it, I was feeling it. And uh, I didn't like it at all. And this isn't just a long time ago. I mean, I I went through a pretty, uh, like a six-month season of depression about five years ago that I didn't tell a whole lot of people about. I just kind of suffered through it, and I felt like garbage. And uh, it felt like it was lasting forever, and I just, I had a hard time shaking it. And um, I got to tell you that the Lord's used that experience to really help me to be more compassionate when I'm trying to offer counsel to those that are dealing with depression. I'll share one other thing that, that I have to say is, has been pretty helpful to me. You know, I grew up in a household uh, where there was a lot of conflict and there were a lot of issues and my, my uh, parents divorced when I was very young. And so there were a lot of problems that came from that. And uh, through those difficult experiences and uh, some of the ways that I reacted to that that were not very healthy, the Lord's enabled me to be able to offer better marriage counseling and to show compassion to families when they're going to, or when they're going through stretches that um, when their marriage hits rocky spots. And I'm able to be a bit more compassionate because I've seen the other side of that from the perspective of a child, but then also, you know, just going through life as an adult and, and just all sorts of things. And so I've watched as how, how the Lord's used difficult moments and specific things that I would look at and say, all right, that was a personal failure. And he's used it in a redemptive way, preparing me for what he would eventually call me to do. And some of those things really forced me to grow up quickly. And, um, you know, when, when he called me into full-time ministry, I was 21 years old when I started pastoring my first church. And at the time I felt so old, <laughs> you know, I thought I was so old. Now I look back and I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe that they gave me a shot to pastor that church full-time. And I was 21 years old. And I think, okay, well, what happened prior to that, that allowed me to do that? Well, I had to grow up quick. And because I had to grow up quickly, it, again, it was, a, it was something that the Lord used to prepare me for a role that had to do with my calling. So I don't know if any of that's useful to anyone else, but I got to tell you, I've seen through painful experiences how the Lord's prepared me for future tasks that he's called me to do, which makes me look back kind of joyfully on some of those low moments. So I think I can see how the Lord's using it in a redemptive way. It's not something I'd like to live through again, but I'm still grateful that the Lord makes use of it. So I'm just curious from some of us that are on the call here, 
How has the Lord used your failures or even your difficult moments? Maybe you wouldn't even call them failures, but how has the Lord used failures or low moments in your life to prepare you for what he eventually has called you to do? I see a lot of smiling, but I'm not hearing any answers. So is that, is, is anyone going to join me on that? Or am I just on an Island here? <laughs> How has the Lord used failure to prepare you? What do you I think? think he's, he's taught me things through failure that helped me not to be as self-confident that like a one plus one equals two formula works in life Mm. um meaning like as long as the right things are done the right outcomes happen um and also some of my failures have helped me not to be as judgmental of other people's failures and instead to join them or to stand with them in the mess in love and in like in a redemptive way that leads to um, leads to the heart of Jesus instead of pushing someone away because of a judgmental attitude. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah. Go for it, Don. I think in a, in a, in a uh, broad spectrum or in a, uh, the bottom line is the humility that comes from it. And, uh, some of the stuff you were describing, I I just wanted to jump in and one up you on a lot of that, John. <laughs> Go for it, do God, it. God has used uh, humiliation <laughs> to get me humble, and uh, you know, and you know, humility comes before you know, yeah, before honor, and uh, so much like everything in my life, I could say, the failures is what I look back on it like. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. When I had the thing set up where I would have been very independently wealthy and the whole bottom fell out of it and there was nothing that I had did. And I felt like, wow, so ripped off and why me? And I look back now and know I wouldn't have survived had that all clicked. And and when, when I come to the church here and, and said, God told me I'm supposed to be the pastor here. So you guys on the National Mission Board, figure out what you want to do. <laughs> let me know and so I was humbled like six years of you know waiting and uh, all the stuff so, but it prepared me to be able to do what he's called me to do so like my whole life uh the failures have been him showing me that I can't do it and I need him now, I don't know why I couldn't get the lesson a long time and be a pastor at 21 see I was almost 60 when they finally made me the pastor. Nice. God had 40 some years of working on me. <laughs> but it's the humility, the humility that comes from the failure, I think is what he can use to let us know that uh, our pride, you know, the, I'm, I'm always prideful when things are clicking and I, I'm all, oh, man, am I good? It's when the failures come that I, and that's when we hit our knees. Please help me, Lord. So humility. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, very similar to what we were talking about earlier with Peter, how the Lord really tenderized his heart uh, through that failure, through that, that moment where he's like, oh, I'll never do this. I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. And then he does the very thing he promised the Lord he wouldn't do. And then the Lord says, you know, Peter, I still love you. You know, do you love me? And, uh, and he's like, look, Peter, I even have a job for you still. You know, you get to, I, I can get to feed my to sheep. Peter. 
You can relate to Peter. Why have you yeah, ever put a guy's ear on? The fish, and he was like, "Look, Lord, I've been fishing all night here. I know it. Yeah, yeah right. I, I can relate to Peter. You can really, yeah. So, my, I don't know if you heard me there, Don, but I just wondered if you ever cut a guy's ear off because Peter did that. So, <laughs> you don't have to admit that. This is being recorded, so don't. You know, we'll just keep that between us. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for us tonight. Thank you guys for joining us. And thank you to those of you that are accessing this uh, via the podcast or via the video. We're glad that you're able to be with us. We do this most Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. And so if you're able to join us, we invite you to join us live. And if you cannot join us live, we invite you to access the recording. But you can find out some more information about what we're doing if you visit Healthy Discipleship Community. Dot com, and we look forward to getting together with you again next time. All right, take care. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.